Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Iz. Hi, Em. I just want to do nothing but talk about Kathy Hilton. Wait, I literally thought you were going to say, how are you doing? And I was going to say, thinking about Kathy Hilton. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only thing I can think about. I can't believe that one person who isn't even a main housewife is giving us so much iconic content. She is genuinely such a hoot. And I love Twitter and Instagram. Everybody just memeing her and catching all these fucking hilarious moments. I'm obsessed. It's a really great feeling when everybody is on the same page because you watch it and you think she's outrageous in the best way possible, but then you go on social media and you see that everybody else is having the same experience. And it's such this sense of like camaraderie around finding out a whole new side of this woman's personality that you thought you knew who she was because she's Paris Hilton's mom. And it's a really fun experience to be a part of. Oh, it's absolutely thrilling. And it really had me laughing last night. Me too. (laughs) So we'll get into Beverly Hills in New York in a moment. We just wanted to go over some of the news this week because the first thing is this Jen Shaw GoFundMe, I know it's been shut down. It was only up for 24 hours, but basically her cousin started it. The subtext wrote, we're asking 10,000 caring souls to donate 2.5 million. Jen is facing decades incarcerated in prison, separated from her family if she's unable to mount a competent and well-thought-out defense. In seven weeks, Jen and her family have spent over 138,000 in legal fees and costs. My family's asking for your help for Jen and the Shaw family. And it raised $225 before it was shut down after so many people reported it. But that is something that really did happen. That was not just a meme. No, it was not just a meme. And at first glance, I think everybody thought that it was just a joke because we've seen, you know, people create a fund for Mikey Minden when Erica's legal woes came out as a joke. But this was fully not a joke. GoFundMe removed it and they said it violated their terms of service, which I think later on it said um, there's they can't raise money for legal defense for alleged crimes associated with financial crimes or crimes of deception. 
how often do you see a GoFundMe shut down? Usually they're for a really good cause. The whole thing was just crazy. I can't even believe that they raised $225 at all. Yeah, the whole thing was wild. I mean, I I don't know how this is going to go down. We'll see it. I just, every time something comes out about either her or even if it's something as simple as an Instagram story where she's in glam, I really can't believe she's real. <laughs> I know. It's very true. I I just want to know like what she's thinking, what she's saying. And the best part is we're going to get to watch it. Yes, we are. Then in other news that we originally thought was fake and then turned out to be real. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you guys saw this, but Hulu announced a new documentary, an ABC News original called The Housewife and the Hustler. They dropped the teaser on Wednesday. It airs on June 14th. And basically it kind of just highlights the Erica and Tom situation. Apparently it will also include voicemail messages, court records, and a never before aired deposition tape of Tom. That's according to ABC News. And then in some of the previews that we saw, some of the commentators are Heather McDonald, Dana Wilkie, who if you guys remember was a former housewife of Beverly Hills, Danielle Staub, I don't know how she got herself in that mix, legal experts, and a bunch of other people. Something about Dana Wilkie, who is famous for having $25,000 sunglasses, and Danielle Staub being like the highlight commentators on a documentary is so sad. I'm really interested to see all the clips and everything they've pulled together, but nothing has happened yet. Like if there are things that are quote new that no one has seen or heard before, I'm interested in that. But otherwise, this is just like a glorified breakdown of all of the headlines and things that we know and also speculation. I don't think anything is coming from their camp or any I don't know. I want the documentary done right at the end. No, me too. Although, let's be honest, we're going to watch it because why wouldn't we? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> like, duh. That's not even a question. Yeah. No, I know. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, listen, I guess it was a smart move on their part because people are so interested in this and honestly want so much more and they know they're not going to get it for a little while. So I guess it was a smart move. But I was wondering the same thing, like how much actual content that is new will there be? I don't know. Right. I think this will be a good thing for people who just want a lot of the backstory, more of the history, kind of a breakdown of things that we've seen and heard from sources. But I'm picturing more of like a really thorough documentary when everything is over, maybe in a year or two, when things have been settled more and we can actually hear from Erica and or Tom or their lawyers or people actually close to the case and not Dana and her sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the one last thing that I will say on this is for myself personally, I'll watch it. But the reason I'm actually happy is because this is the kind of thing I want to show to my family members that are kind of interested, but don't really get it. My dad, people like that who don't watch Bravo, but still want to know what's going on that I've tried to explain things to, and they just need to see a visual. Like It's a great level one explainer if you have somebody in your life that isn't as deep in as you, but you want them to kind of understand it. Yes. And it's probably something great for us to watch while we're watching Beverly Hills at the exact same time to see what was going on when, some of the parallels, maybe things that they pick up on. And yeah, I, I'm i excited. I don't know. I, I love a documentary, so I'll never say no, but it just really caught me off guard. <laughs> I was 100% sure it was a fake just because some of these 
Bravo meme accounts are actually pretty prolific in terms of the things that they create. So I thought that one of them just made this really phenomenally done, almost, you know, professional looking thing. And then I realized, holy shit, no, these are real people talking. This is legit. I know. And I heard like Fergie glamorous and I was like, oh my God, is this made on like iMovie? This is like a glorified, I don't know, slideshow of, I just, you're right. It just seemed fake. I couldn't believe it because it feels so fast to throw a documentary together, but yeah, obviously we'll watch and obviously we'll be talking about it here. So stay tuned. And then last thing news-wise we wanted to talk about was, you remember last week we were kind of breaking down the whole Dina Caroline situation and we had heard from Lexi just that she was kind of sharing some memes on her story and commenting on them a little bit, obviously pro-Dina, anti-Caroline. And Dina had left a few comments here and there, but Albie, which recently was the first of the Manzo kids to speak on anything, he left a comment on his own photo and said, Oh, and real quick, before anyone gets excited that someone with the last name Manzo posted something, so this is your clown-ass chance to leave baseless comments like you think you know something. I haven't been silent. I've been busy. But I've had just about enough of this bullshit, and you'll be hearing from me soon. Don't you worry. In the meantime, Mama Bear, you're the strongest woman I know. I love and admire you more than you will ever understand. And then I saw this on Twitter, so I haven't 100% confirmed what photo it's on yet, but a user named Dancy1106 caught Dina commenting on something or replying to someone and she wrote, oh, shocking, going to speak on it on his podcast for the downloads with the rolling eye emoji. Unfortunately, this will just be a quote storyline to profit from. What a shame. Hmm. It's getting messy. Yeah. As if it wasn't already messy, then like the kids are involved and they're going back and forth. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's at a certain point, the first thing that he would post you kind of have to address it. And he probably expected all of the comments to be about that. So I don't know. I I don't, there's not really much to say. I feel like there's going to be little things adding on week by week. And then at a certain point, I don't know what happens. Yeah. I don't know. My stance is very similar to last week, just of that. I, I understand clearly why the kids are involved. They're adults now and they obviously have allegiances to their own mothers. It just makes me sad. There's something different about seeing Dina comment than there is about seeing Lexi post something or Albie comment. And I know it's obviously from the good of their hearts, they're defending their moms, but it's just sad. You know, you never want that to go down. Yeah, no, never. Any other news related things you want to mention or shall we get into Beverly Hills? My last thing I would say is everyone should listen to Paris Hilton's podcast where she had Kyle and some of the other women that they had at their house, obviously her mom. It's so funny. And also, Teddy had Crystal on her podcast, and it's amazing. And Crystal tells this like story about how she has a warrant out for her arrest in Arizona, and she had this whole driving incident, and everyone was making the funniest memes. And she was like really leaning into it, saying, like, oh, her my next tagline should be about like my car, and just so funny because you would just, I don't know, she's great, and you'll love it. I really like her. I really think I was wondering this, you know, when you're a new housewife, even if you're used to being somewhat surrounded by the limelight, I still think the level of dedication, good or bad from Bravo fans can be really overwhelming. It's not like doing a show on another network when people don't care, like Bravo fans really care. And so I think for the most part, she's received a pretty warm welcome or she seems to be very well liked, you know, as compared to some other people we've seen season one. And so I just wonder how that feels for her. 
I hope it's fun. That's like what it should be about. So I hope it's really fun because I think people are loving her and she seems really like playful and kind of gets it and wants to lean into it and not get defensive about like stories and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's great. I love her. Okay. Let us go into Beverly Hills. And by the way, let me just give you guys a full disclosure. We recorded the New York segment right after it it aired on TV. So when we cut to that at the end, it'll be pre-recorded. And I just want to say, and I said this in the beginning, but I'm going to say it again. I can speak for both of us in saying we're really not trying to be negative about this season of New York. It's just really hard to find exciting things to say when it is so clearly such a subpar season with the exception of Ebony. And so just have that in your mind when you listen, because I love this shit more than anything, but I really am feeling like we need to shake up. And I just want to drive that point home one more time. Yes. But luckily this week's Beverly Hills was really entertaining and amazing. So we can be excited about that. Beverly Hills is just so good. It's just so good. There's this really interesting account on Instagram called Reality Pollsters, and they always do these kind of like in-depth polls about what viewers of different Bravo shows are thinking. And they did one comparing Beverly Hills to New York. And the title was, Fans Don't Want the Same Things from New York and Beverly Hills. And the difference was that Beverly Hills fans are more optimistic than New York fans, as we know. But from New York, fans value humor the most. And then from Beverly Hills, fans value ostentatious wealth the most, which makes so much sense. And when you think about it like that, it kind of makes sense as to why the lack of humor in this season's New York, plus the level of opulence in this season of Beverly Hills is making people feel these certain ways about the franchises. Yeah. I think everyone needs something different from every city as like their priority top level thing, but there needs to be a healthy mix of both for all of them. And we're just not getting enough of anything on New York. Whereas I feel like on Beverly Hills, I was sitting watching them at this restaurant. They're all full glam outfits and they're in this beautiful house and they're also being hilarious and pranking each other. And Kathy Hilton obviously is the gift that keeps on giving, but they're all like funny and have a good dynamic when they weren't fighting, which also is what we need is some of the drama and you watch different cities for different things. And when that city doesn't deliver like what you're looking for, it starts to become sad. Exactly. It, it really does. I, I just like that because I, I like anything that kind of analyzes and almost quantifies Bravo because oftentimes this stuff can feel like, I don't know, a little fluffy. And so I love when we get into the real nitty gritty. Oh, same. You know, I love a data chart. Did you see <laughs> Kathy Hilton asking Kyle on Instagram live what channel Housewives is on? Yes. <laughs> I, I, and also call, calling Paris's podcast an iPod. I don't know. She's too good. I want to wait till we get into the real scene with her, but it's, I can't believe how when I woke up this morning, it was the first thing I thought about. It it just subconsciously happened. I opened my eyes and I was like, wow, that Kathy Hilton is one funny motherfucker. I can't stop thinking about her. And I know like people have very mixed feelings on Kyle and whatever, but Kyle's reactions to her and like the way that she bounces off of her or like will correct her is so funny that only a sister could do because they're on Instagram live. She's like, what do you mean? What channel is it on Kathy? It's on Bravo. Like everything is just 
so funny because I think the other women, you know, they're friends with her, but they're not her sister. So they're just like polite and funny. But And Kyle gets such a kick out of her too, because how could you not? And I'm obsessed with the whole thing. And we have to get into this episode. Yeah. <laughs> So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. So we kind of pick up where we left off last week with Sutton, Crystal, and Kyle downstairs. And we can get into this more in the scene when Crystal and Sutton are talking outside because I feel like in this scene, nothing really productive was happening. Clearly Sutton was just on another one and nothing that was even remotely helpful was going to happen. So I think we all had a similar reaction this week as we had to last week. So you want to reserve our conversation about the actual content until they're back and forth because that was the only time I felt like progress was being a little bit made. Yeah. So they're at breakfast. And this is just another thing. Before we even get any sort of Kathy in the flesh content, we find out that she comes into Sutton's room with her fan and eight pillows, gets into Kyle's bed eating chips, takes a Red Bull thinking it's a Coke, is up till 2 a.m. I mean, I couldn't believe the footage that they had of her from the night before. She was like really, truly a sleepwalker. It was amazing. No, I just love her. I I don't want everyone to be annoyed that we're just talking about how funny Kathy Hilton is, but I can't stop talking about how funny Kathy Hilton is. She doesn't even try and she's walking around with her jumbo fan and she loves to sleep and she puts eardrops in her eyes. Like that's just how, that's gold. That's gold. She doesn't care. That's what it is. Like truly, genuinely, I do not think she is phased at all. If anything, I mean, according to Justin, maybe she's actually a little bit more timid than normal, but I do believe that she's relatively unfazed. This is her, you know, she's doing this for fun. She's not doing this because she needs the stardom because she needs to be well-liked so that she can get a diamond for season two. No, it's true. So Sutton and Crystal talking outside, you know, I was so deeply frustrated by Sutton this entire episode and we can hold back that conversation until we get to dinner and post-dinner, but we all saw how she reacted the night before. And if you want to give her the benefit of the doubt and say that people sometimes have off nights, she was tired, she felt sensitive, whatever it was. But even in this conversation, when Crystal was merely trying to explain her side of it and kind of where she was coming from, and Sutton, although it ended relatively peacefully, 
her focus is still on the fact that she was so hurt and so offended by Crystal repeatedly asking her, you know, you're not that girl that doesn't see color, right? And so it was just her level of defense to me really impacted her ability to listen. And that's never the spot you want to be in. No, I think Sutton's overall issue, especially in this episode, is her quick immediate reaction to get defensive in all of these situations immediately. Like that is her go-to is she just goes on the defense and feels really victimized and really personally offended and hurt by things. And then almost can't hear anything else going on. Like she's completely blinded by that as the situation progresses. And I get it. I get wanting to be defensive of yourself, but it can't like change the entire course of the conversation and also make you like black out to anything else going on. That's the issue. They're, the two aren't, in her mind, the two aren't able to coexist. And I think also, just to get to the actual root of what they were talking about, Crystal understood and made it clear that she knew Sutton's heart was in the right place when she said the fact that she doesn't see color. But what she was trying to communicate is basically like, that is a counterproductive mantra or mindset to have because the whole goal is that no you do see color of course you see color it's just that seeing color doesn't impact the way that you treat people and that it helps you to recognize your internal bias to change your internal bias but shutting off the idea of seeing it at all is not helpful to the mission that we're trying to prove the whole goal is that you can see it and then also you cannot act on the internal biases you may have so like it just Bottom line, I don't think either of them are bad people, obviously. I just think that Crystal is so significantly more aware and understanding of all of this. And obviously, some of that comes down to the fact that, unfortunately, she has been on the receiving end of some of these experiences. I mean, you saw in her confessional, she talks about the time when she's at the gas station with her dad and he has to run back in the car because he's being harassed. And you see, she was 10 years old. So this is what, 30 years later, she's still crying from it because what a traumatizing experience to watch your father fear for his life at the hands of racists. That's terrifying. The best point that Crystal made was when she was talking about the difference in generations. And Sutton is 12 years older than her, which is really kind of a big difference when it comes to these conversations. And what she was saying was the generation above her learned not to see color. Like we're all equal. You you can say, I don't see color. And they were taught that. Whereas the younger generations, I think our generation and which she's a part of, have learned that we want to see color and then respect and understand and appreciate those colors in a different way. So by talking about that, I think she kind of was seeing that Sutton didn't know what was wrong with saying that we don't see color thing and that she thought it was coming from a good place and saying, I see all people equally. But she Sutton wasn't understanding that Crystal was trying to teach her like, we've moved past that. Like there's progress past that point. And she almost wanted to help her. She did want to help her. That's my point. And you're right. I think the reason that the way she did it was so brilliant, clearly it didn't necessarily work because Sutton was such on high defense was she actually didn't personalize it. You know, it actually wasn't really about Sutton anymore. She was speaking about it generationally, like you said. And to your average person, one would assume that that would take down the other person's guard because it's a lot easier to be defensive when someone's attacking you and your character versus just kind of observing a difference in the way that you were taught based on an age gap. So to me, I was like, wow, this is such a smart move. It's a shame that Sutton is so in her own head that she can't see it. Yeah. 
it is because she could have really taken that as a learning opportunity and also, I don't know, made it better. And I think they had a back and forth apology on Twitter and Instagram last week that we kind of touched on with Justin, but I hope they're in a better place. I think Sutton, between hearing Crystal out maybe after when things have simmered down and also hearing from Twitter and Instagram and the fans, hopefully this will just be like a progression forward for her. Yeah, I think so too. Also then, you know, because when they went biking and on their way back, they had kind of a heart to heart in the car. You know, they're talking about their father's deaths and it's true. Like that is a really intimate thing. And I think specifically for Sutton, because she obviously has a harder time kind of opening up or, or, I don't know, acting like emotionally vulnerable with new people. She even said in her confessional, you know, the second that she finds out somebody has lost their father, it automatically opens her up more. And it's unfortunate that that is the point of connection, but I was almost glad that that came to the forefront. I always feel like the women need these kind of conversations to get closer. I think anybody needs these kind of conversations to get closer. It's the way you bond with people. You find things in common. And also just somebody telling you a really vulnerable story or things that are sensitive brings you closer together. I mean, we see later on this kind of goes to the wayside when they fight again. But it is the kind of thing you need to put the bullshit aside and not be petty with each other and really understand each other. For sure, especially in a franchise like Beverly Hills, when sometimes the luxury and glamour can take over, or in people's eyes, take over some of the more down-to-earth moments. Yeah, this was a very, I would say, down-to-earth moment. So before dinner, when they're all sitting outside, and they're just talking about a bunch of different things, and Erica makes a comment of saying, you know, that's one of the things I love the most about Tom, is that he lets me be myself. Again, Is that any sort of a revolutionary statement? No. Am I still listening so intently anytime she even utters his name? Yes. Gibson Johns tweeted something like, I love the producers and the editor's decision to keep in all these little small remarks that Erica makes about Tom or anecdotes she tells about him bringing home Morton's every night for three months during quarantine. Things that either they wouldn't have included in quote normal times. Like it kind of seems irrelevant or fluffy slash things that we would never have cared about before. We never would have picked up on that. You know, like that is such a throwaway comment from her if you aren't looking for it. So these little things, especially like I said, given the timeline that she filed for divorce about a week, a week later, is so, like what was going on in her head? Did she want to file for divorce? Did she know? Was she still in love with him? With did what happened after between the time that she got home from this trip and the time that she filed for divorce? That's not a decision you make overnight when there's so many years of marriage, so many assets, so much love, so much publicity involved. You don't just come home from your trip and say, "Up oh, Monday morning, I'm going to go in and file for divorce." No, unless you get home from your trip, find out, again, hypothetical, find out what's been going on and a lawyer says to you, you have to file right now or you're going to be royally fucked. Yeah. Well, that just is another missing piece of the puzzle that we're going to find out. Not sure if it's on the Hulu documentary, but we're going to find out some way or another. I was about to say, and make sure to to the Hulu documentary, June 14th. (laughs) (laughs) So then this was kind of an awkward moment when 
Garcelle is talking about how Paris was on the reel and she was using her real voice and then makes a comment about how she used to see her out. And it always drove her crazy that Paris was always on her phone. And, you know, keep in mind, she's saying that to Kathy and Kyle, her mother and her aunt. And they kind of explain that it was really her prop because she's very uncomfortable. She's very shy. And she had to do so many of these events that it made her feel a sense of safety. And at the end, like Garcelle said, it was actually, I guess, a good thing she said it because they were able to have a little bit of an insightful conversation about it. But I agree with Kyle. I don't know if I necessarily would have said that about somebody's daughter in a way that did come across as kind of negative. I know. And she said, you know, thank God we're kind of on good terms because you're like going after one of my family members. It's a little bit weird. But I also appreciate Garcelle kind of being honest. And I think how much criticism has Kathy heard about her daughter over the years? It's not the worst thing. It just felt a little weird, like sitting in such an intimate setting for her to say that about her. It's also just a criticism of our entire generation. So it didn't feel specifically so personal to Paris's personality. It was like, yeah, she like led the revolution of being on your Blackberry when you're at one Oak celebrating your birthday. So I don't know. It was just like an interesting interaction, but I did like that whole outdoor scene. And it was kind of just like funny. And I was happy to see Kyle and Garcelle getting along Sutton being a little bit more chill and just Kathy obviously being there was the cherry on top. Well, it's what we're missing in New York. Just these like really organic moments of connection that don't mm-hmm. feel forced. It's right. Kind of- yeah. Because like they just first of all we have to do that biking thing at some point. I want to do that yes. so bad, but yes. also it didn't feel like they were set up to be sitting together. It was like Rinna and Erica went back and took a nap, and they were just sitting there. Kind of Sutton comes out in her slippers. Like I like that just chill moments that are in between the quote like anchor scenes. I would call them where they have an activity or they have the dinner like. Those are the scenes that everything is really produced and you know that they are put together to happen, whereas this is just them hanging out around the house. Yeah, and the other thing is even for your average person that isn't on a trip like that Lake Tahoe one, anytime you go anywhere with your friends, there is natural downtime. That's a real thing that happens. And so, no, could most people relate to sitting on the balcony of a 17,000 square foot overlooking Lake Tahoe? No, but could most people relate to coming back for an activity and having a few hours before dinner and sitting there with your friends and just chilling? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we love a robe time. (laughs) We do. So moving on to dinner. What a shit show this was. This fucking dinner. I knew it was going to be really bad news when they got there and the tables had to stay separated because of COVID protocols, which of course I understand. It just like added this separation physically that we didn't need and it made everything so dysfunctional. Everyone was, I don't even know what was going on. What a fucking, you're right. What a fucking shit show. I was actually thinking about this, how production must have felt when they realized clearly they found out before they walked in that the seats were going to be like this. And I'm sure initially they were really pissed. And I think at the end, it actually ended up working more into the storyline because it created this separation that then Sutton was on the receiving end of and was one of the reasons that she kind of flipped in a way. I know it's like a convoluted way to say it, but I always wonder those types of things just on the production side of like, okay, we have this obstacle. How do we tackle it? Yeah. And also allowed for like smaller group conversations while at the big table without including everybody. Yeah. And 
on the flip side, though, when Dorit is like recounting everything that happens with Sutton later on, she has to like scream across the table and Sutton's sitting kind of right next to her. So I was just like so confused on the dynamics of that. And I don't know. Yeah, it's just these are the kind of things that when real life has to infiltrate these shows so hard because you can't help like the the protocols of the restaurant when you're filming. It doesn't matter. Like the CDC comes before Bravo. So just funny. Right. Like we are in a global pandemic and them being a few feet away from each other at this really nice restaurant in Tahoe is going to be the manifestation of that. I just imagine like going to the restaurant and they're like, yeah, like per the law, per CDC guidelines. And they're like, no, 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 but you don't understand this drama between Sutton and Crystal. Like <laughs> we need to push the tables together, you know? Like, yeah, so get Fauci on the line. Yeah. Like Fauci, I got to tell you what's going down in Lake Tahoe. Yeah, exactly. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of the Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. So it's kind of really all sparked by them continuing the conversation. And Sutton is trying to find a level of relatability with Erica, being that they're both white and Southern. And she's trying to make Erica understand that she feels as though she needs to defend herself as not being a racist. And, you know, Erica's just not on the same page as her. You know, she understands some of the reputation of the South, but Erica has never felt personally impacted in it that way. And I think Sutton so desperately trying to find common ground and Erica so not being on her page probably subconsciously contributed to the level of isolation she was already feeling. Oh my God, 1000%. She was like turning to Erica to be like a right, right? Like, don't you agree with me in some, any capacity? She just wanted someone to feel like they were, were backing her up. And Erica was like, at, like not giving her it at all. So then for Erica to kind of go against her point when she was looking for an ally in her just added to this overall feeling of like, everyone's against me. Everyone's talking about me. I have to be defensive. Nobody's seeing what I see. Nobody understands or is hearing me. And it was just like piling on, which by the way, like regardless of the content of the issue, I get that feeling. And I get that you're on a trip with all these girls and to look around and feel like nobody has my back and you know everybody is disagreeing with me. Like That can be a really isolating feeling. However, what she was saying was, I get like nobody agreed with, they don't have to. And also nobody was really like doing anything against her. Well, yeah. I mean, my thing is I technically understand it. Obviously I'm not like sociopathic. I get why she was feeling that way. It's just when you consider the content of what they were talking about, it, it she loses me immediately because it's everything. I mean, you know, it really starts with the whole Dorit making the comment about Erica growing up in more of a multicultural world. And it was, listen, Dorit can say things that are digs. This was not a dig. This was Dorit genuinely trying to understand what was going on here. This is the first she was hearing about this conversation and she was just trying to make an observation. And again, again, going back to the crystal conversation earlier, Sutton has an inability to not personalize every statement. Dorit saying Erica grew up in a multicultural world was not her saying you are some fucking 
random person that has never seen the world and you'll never be nearly as worldly as Erica. Not what she was saying. Of course, Sutton has an inability to not take it that way. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. It's not Erica grew up this way. It's Sutton didn't grow up this way. That's how she reads every situation. So Dorit could have put it way better. I think it was kind of a mishmash of her thoughts and she wasn't even sure what she was thinking and she was just trying to help justify the situation. And you're right. I think she was kind of trying to help Sutton and like point out why they're different and why maybe Erica was saying, I don't feel the same way you do, which she needed in that moment. But Sutton again took it and was so, so defensive. And it was just, I thought it was interesting, like Crystal and Garcelle commenting because Garcelle is really Sutton's best friend in that group. And even Garcelle was saying, Sutton is really, really touchy right now. Something's going on. I don't know what it is. And Crystal was just, I felt her frustration mounting of saying like, she can't have a conversation, like just be normal. Everything is so intense. And she just like, regardless again of content aside, she just hates the way that Sutton deals with things and responds to things and the way that she acts. Like, so then on top of it, to add the topic of conversation, it just was like, she was not vibing with her. And I felt her kind of resentment and annoyance escalating. I felt it so hard. I, I felt the same way. I was like, I said to you, I was like, I could not be friends with somebody who takes everything so personally because it is really an exhausting feeling to feel like you're walking on eggshells when you're talking to your friend and it's too much. I'm like, I'm not, listen, it's not the end all be all. I'm sure opinions can change, but like in my mind, if I'm being totally honest, obviously I don't think she's a bad person, but I have like no regard for Sutton. I'm like, she's just not my cup of tea. I think she's a really entertaining figure because I can't believe somebody would react like this, but I was having the exact same reaction as Crystal was of just like, oh my God, just chill. Not everything needs to have this level of intensity. It will be interesting maybe when she's calmed down a little bit and can see it from a different side, maybe when they're not on the trip, because I think being on the trip can like heighten the anxiety a lot and feeling like we're all together. It's so much together time. People are talking about me, how she'll react, maybe how she'll redeem herself, how she'll respond to things at the reunion, what progress she's made. I don't know, but can we please, like, for one minute, just talk about the martini prank? Oh, my God. It's all I want to talk about. Because Kathy, like Justin Sylvester told us last week, is a huge prankster. And we saw that in full effect at this dinner when she was downing these martinis, but she had secretly told the waitress to make them water with olives. And then she got Dorit in on the joke, who then got... Erica and Lisa in on the joke and then they were pranking Kathy back because Kathy thought that they were ordering actual vodka to like be on par with her but little did they know that it was water so the whole thing was just like a really funny dynamic of Kathy pranking them but then pranking her back and being like holy shit and seeing the reactions of the girls when they didn't know it was water honestly when we didn't know it was water watching Dorit stand up in her full like Louis Vuitton leather outfit with her headband on and chug that what we thought hard martini, I was like, oh my fucking God. I had the exact same reaction as Erica. I was like, wow, that was impressive. I really had no idea until obviously we find out, but it was funny to to watch Dorit kind of on the spot say, no, it's not just ending here. Let's take it a step further. And yeah, to prank the prankster. And like, that's why when they're in the car on the way back, 
I can't even, as I'm about to say what I'm about to say, I'm like, I can't believe this is how it happened. But Crystal was only kicking Sutton as to not ruin the prank. And I mean, <laughs> that like that was the point of escalation. No, I can't believe that was the point of escalation. And she was whispering in the back to Sutton why she just kicked her. It wasn't like she kicked her and said, I'll tell you later. And Sutton like built up this whole thing. The way that it escalated into then Sutton later saying, I've never had a girlfriend kick me like that. It was so like she was so offended by that and felt like everyone was in on this joke without her. It was like Garcelle put it perfectly. If everyone's in on the prank, it's not a prank. It's the weirdest thing ever. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I obviously understand some people have this as a part of their personality you know, as a result of insecurity. And it is really sad, but also let's just be honest. It was ridiculous. I mean, Crystal says it perfectly. She goes, if it's not about her, she's not included. She thinks she's somehow the victim. And that is a completely spot on analysis. And that's why take her away as a reality television character for a second. Okay. Imagine you're one of these women who's trying to be friends with her. Could you imagine how exhausting that was? Think about how many times, like with me, you and Julie, we say shit that's not you know, that you say in passing, that's not meant to offend. Imagine if you had to be so conscious of your words every time. No, I mean, it would be exhausting. I also thought it was very telling of how bad of a place Sutton was in this night because when Garcelle comes in, is like, were you guys texting about Sutton at the table? Like, she's upset about it. She's sensitive about it. And they're all like, absolutely not. We were texting about the prank. Garcelle was doing that from a place of love and protection to prove, to say, see Sutton, you were just overthinking this. Like, don't worry about it so much. And Sutton snaps so hard at Garcelle of saying like, why would you bring attention to that? Like, I, you know, I, I didn't want to talk about it with everybody. Garcelle, again, I will say is her friend and her ally and her alliance in the group. So for her to snap at Garcelle and also in front of everybody, I was like, she is really in a bad bad, bad place tonight. Oh, terrible place. It was very evident. I mean, the thing is, you would expect that once she found out it was about the prank, that it would be it. It would be over, end of story, problem solved. But it's very honestly concerning the level of insecurity there because to even think that people are texting about you obviously is an unsettling feeling, but to have that reaction to thinking that before you even know is really telling. But the problem was, even when she found out, oh, it was like texting about the prank, she was still so offended about not being included in the prank. She's sitting there and makes everybody raise your hand if you were in on the prank. I'm the only one. And Kyle's like, I didn't know. Garcelle's like, I didn't know. I figured it out. Like, they don't care because they shouldn't care. It was such a silly, stupid thing about water martinis, like a prank that I've literally done in middle school. And Sutton could not help herself. And that's when Crystal says, like, you are just a ridiculous human being after she's going on and on about the prank and the kicking and how she's so offended and how she was the only one purposefully calculated left out, which is not at all what happened. And I think that was kind of Crystal's breaking point. Like, she got up and left because she's just like, I cannot handle somebody like that. I so got it. To me, there were two people that stuck out in this scene. Crystal, because I felt her on like a deep spiritual level, her frustration about Sun's entire demeanor. And then second of all, the person that stuck out to me was Kyle because she was, I guess the best way I can put it is like, she wasn't being lazy. You know, Dorit, Lisa, Garcelle wasn't either, but 
some of them, they just didn't want to deal with Sutton. And Kyle was willing to take it on herself and be like, no, as your friend, I need you to listen to me. You are overreacting. Let's talk this through. You know, she really wanted to get to the root of it. I think Garcelle had tried and she was shut down. So she was like, fuck it. I'm not going to even go there. But Kyle, as opposed to the rest of them, was willing to really kind of deal with it head on, even though it had nothing to do with her. Well, I think Kyle also felt like because she was not, quote, involved in the prank, she was coming from a little bit of a more neutral place. And also her position with Sutton is maybe better than some of the other women where her and Sutton get along and they are on good terms. And Kyle kind of has like a more, I don't know, empathetic relationship with her. So I think she was the perfect person to kind of, quote, take it on. I don't know how much progress they made. I mean, all we saw is like the to be continued of Sutton going to Crystal's room to bring her her jacket, which is like weird. I don't understand that or this if it was a setup and Crystal's on the phone like talking shit about her to her friend, rightfully so, saying like, I do not understand what the fuck is going on on my first cast trip. And I think they get into a weird thing there. But the whole thing was just literally the only way I can describe it is weird. It was bizarre and it was enti- – I'm sorry. This was the type of situation where – it wasn't mean girl shit. This was Sutton really being overly sensitive. Again, it's sad that she felt this way, but also just because somebody is in a bad place, it doesn't mean that the entire group who's on their trip needs to then adjust their dynamic and not do a funny prank that brings everyone joy as not to offend somebody who is objectively being overly sensitive. Life doesn't work like that. You can, of course, be kind in the way that you deal with the aftermath of it, but to expect that they're not going to do something like that just because it makes you uncomfortable is off. Yeah, it's it's true. Anything else you want to mention? No, I loved this episode. Loved it. Really loved it. Really made up for what I was missing with New York. It was just great. It just took us on a journey. And I like a journey. I like the highs and the lows and the glamour. And it was great. Let us cut, go to an ad break, and we will come back with New York. People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or a skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college, I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which in my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences, and it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation and it's convenient. So desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today.
I promise both you and everybody listening that I really am not trying to be negative, but you guys, we are on episode five of New York, and I do not feel like it is picking up in any way that same feeling of kind of concern and almost like sadness that we had at the beginning is carrying on. And Isabel, what the fuck did we just watch? Oh, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I hated every moment of this episode from start to finish. Guys, please tell me other people are feeling this way. I mean, we, we were just quickly looking at Twitter because it's literally 10, 14. So we're recording it 14 minutes after we watched. And it seems like most people are feeling the same way. Obviously, we'll get into the specific scenes. But just in general, it's there's nothing going on here. It's very forced. It's so forced. It's all these like group, I don't know, activities that they're like forcing together way more than any other city. I feel like I, I know that's picked up in the last like, couple of years, how it's really heavily produced in a way. And again, it might just be because I'm so deep in on the old school episodes where they go on trips and they don't have to invite everybody. And it's like a thing that they're not inviting them. Or they go out to lunches and it's only a few of them. And it's like, who naturally gravitates towards each other? Instead of, we're all having a painting party at Luann's. And I know that they're set up so that things do happen and that conversations do go down. But Nothing happened in this episode until the last five minutes, but truly nothing. I mean, I texted you 45 minutes in. I'm like, I don't even know if there is anything to recap. (laughs) As I'm doing this, I'm like thinking, should we start this over? Do we sound so negative? But I feel like it's actual. This is authentically how we feel. Yeah. I mean, there are things to say and like there were funny moments, of course, but it just overall felt so forced. And again, I will watch anything clearly. And this almost was borderline unwatchable. Like I was just losing interest. One thing that I actually wanted to mention last week that I think I forgot to was how Ebony and Leah brought their glam squads. And when you see that again in this episode, and I know Ramona had a problem with it personally for me, I love that. I I don't know if it's because watching so much of Beverly Hills, it becomes the norm that you almost crave that level of extravagance when it comes to other franchises, but I just appreciate it. I love when they show glam on camera. And honestly, for a pretty subpar weekend, if you can afford it and you want to do it, why not? Right. And it's funny just comparing city to city, how having glam in some cities, how them not having glam in Lake Tahoe was such a big deal versus having glam in the Hamptons is a big deal. It is just really funny. Ramona needed to just chill. She's incapable. I mean, I was so glad that Ebony came back at her and said, you know, as a black woman, my hair routine is harder than yours because that shut her up. There was absolutely nothing she could say back to that. And she's just so off. Like Ramona, the way that she communicates is just so misaligned to whatever the situation is. Even later on, which I know we'll get into when they're at the painting party and Leah's clearly very upset, like her ways in which she comforts and on the flip side of that, the ways in which she gets upset just never match the actual circumstance. And it's very concerning. And I can imagine it must be very difficult to be around. Oh my God. It, I cannot imagine. I think the other women are just so frustrated. I mean, we saw Leah really lose it last week talking to Michelle, the woman in her house saying, I don't know how the fuck you work for her and really just fed up with it, which I completely understand, especially with that much together time. And Looking at it from a different perspective, not to defend Ramona at all, but what I feel is happening is like 
she doesn't care about these women anymore. She doesn't care what any of them think of her. She doesn't care about being in good graces with any of them or what, if they like her. She genuinely doesn't care. Like her quote friend group and friends and people that she's hanging out with and traveling with are none of them. Like not even Sonia. So you would think that the cameras rolling would be enough motivation to kind of really think about what you're saying and doing and your actions and remember that all of the world is going to be watching what you do and say. But I think in the moment, she just kind of forgets she's been on TV for so long and it, she just she just doesn't give a shit about these women. And that is the big difference. There's no click that she's trying to get into. There's nobody that she's trying to impress. And she just has kind of lost the spark. Yeah, you're right. It's like that moment of pause that most people have before they speak is just missing with her. And I know this is not surprising. We've been in how many seasons now with her, but it was just so hyper present for me this episode. Yeah, I agree with you. It has gotten to a point that's really just uncomfortable and just not as fun to watch. <laughs> if somebody listened to this the first time, they've never listened to our podcast before, they would be like, why are they hosting a Bravo show and they literally hate Housewives of New York? I love Housewives and I miss it. And this to me doesn't even feel like I'm watching New York Housewives. I don't know why. I feel like I'm watching an SNL skit about Housewives of New York, you know? Like it just, I don't know. Like this episode was just so frustrating to me and I was expecting so much more out of having Heather there. I don't think she said one word the whole time they were at Luann's. I mean, seriously though, what would we do without Ebony? Because she, to me, is the only person in any of these episodes that gives us something. I mean, aside from her confessionals, which are always so spot on and say exactly what we're thinking, in the moment, I just think she handles every situation objectively the best. And especially when it's like the Ramona and Sonia and at times even Leah who are just acting so irrationally, I find myself looking for Ebony, hoping for her to come on the screen because she's my only calming presence in this fucking mishmash. And if she wasn't there, they would literally just be sitting around staring at each other. Like there's nothing... She's the one who's like, oh, wow, a new perspective on the situation. And she can kind of break down the dynamics from her point of view of what she's seeing for the first time and like give her, you know, perspective on situations that we haven't heard before. And like, that's the only interesting thing, kind of keeping the table conversation going and keeping the life of the party going, because otherwise it's stories we've heard a thousand times and they like don't have any, like Luann and Ramona and Sonia have been friends for so long and done this for so long they don't have anything to say to each other anymore. I think they're only hanging out to film at this point. So that just makes it really hard. They're, re they're like work friends, they're like actors who meet on set every day, they do their job, and then they go home. Right, which is not the case with Beverly Hills or with Jersey or with a lot of other franchises. No, I, I this one, I mean, we haven't seen all of the new seasons. It's, it's very hard to say season to season, but this one in particular, I didn't feel this last season at all. We never no, had that no. conversation. When we were just doing Atlanta, never once said that in Atlanta, never once said that in Potomac, never once said that even as much as I could not stand Dallas, those women were friends. Yeah. So that's just my bone to pick with that. <laughs> I'm right there with you, to be honest. But okay, let's just get into, I guess, the meat of the episode, which was the eventual kind of erupting of this disagreement first with Leah and Ramona. And I really do think that, yes, Leah was frustrated and would have been frustrated regardless because it can feel 
I would imagine incredibly condescending when somebody is basically telling you that the way that you speak is not something that they're comfortable with. Whichever side you're on, I can understand how that comes across as very condescending, especially in the face of such intense hypocrisy. But the one thing that I kept asking myself this episode is like, and this is not a judgment thing, a genuine curiosity. Why was she here? You know, I just felt pain for her. Like I could tell that this was the last place she wanted to be. Her mind was not here. She was very hypersensitive and was going to be upset by anything anyone said. So the last person you want to be around when your family member is dying and you're feeling such a great sense of loss and vulnerability is Ramona Singer. So I just genuinely felt like, come on, go back. You don't need this right now. Yeah. Well, especially given how much she knows that these specific group of women kind of annoy her. So if you're already in such a horrible state of mind, then to put yourself in the line of fire, like, yeah, I don't know if she had to be there, but I can't imagine that they would force her to go when she couldn't be there. Like, you know, it's like a life or death situation, but I felt really bad for her. And I almost felt like that sense of she's in such a fog that she can't see out of. And it was almost making the situation even worse for her. Yeah. And we'll go back to the fight in a second. I just wanted to say, I know I kind of touched on this before, but it was really kind of remarkable the fact that these two things happened back to back. First is, you know, Leah sitting on the couch and she's clearly upset. And we have Ramona go over there and try her best to comfort her. Ebony was right. Her heart was in the right place, but pretty much just do the last thing you want to do in that situation when somebody's actively trying to stop crying. And then Moments after, we watch Ebony masterfully handle that with not only compassion and empathy and grace, but also, I think, really providing kind of that sense of stability and that sense of reassurance that Leah seeks in her grandmother and is going to miss. And so to watch them back to back, I don't really think it was a production move because I think it naturally happened like that, was so glaring, the difference in their emotional intelligence. Yeah, you can't even like compare it. And also just their understanding of Leah. Like both of those things combined, it was just night and day. When Leah loses out on Ramona, knew that was going to happen. You know, like we said, she was kind of out of it. Ramona was asking for it. They kind of like going back and forth at each other. The whole thing was ridiculous. But you know something? This was honestly... This may be bold to say, and I don't know if you're going to agree or disagree. Out of everybody there, I think the person who performed the worst this episode was fucking Luann. Oh Honestly. Oh my God. I think Luann made Ramona look good. 1,000 million percent because Luann didn't know when to stop and just kept like saying every possible wrong thing you could say. And Ramona, who usually never steps away or never shuts her mouth, like never stops talking or never really knows what to say, kind of took a back seat and was just watching. And it was seeing Luann this episode was like scary. I, I don't even recognize her. You know, I know what happened there, aside from obviously the lack of like awareness and understanding of the concepts that they were talking about, like that aside, if you break this down to like a really fundamental level, it was a shot to her ego and she can't take it. I mean, she is, I think, objectively the most narcissistic one there, even though I think she has made strides. And so when she heard Ebony or interpreted what Ebony was saying as that she was more educated, which Ebony was just speaking factually, and that is true, she can't handle it. And I don't think she could have handled it if anyone at the table said it, because God forbid somebody has something that one-ups her. I mean, this is really 
like a deep, deep level of narcissism. Yeah. And I think she also had a whole complex about being at her house with her family, her boyfriend cooked, it being her thing. She's always the most well-traveled and speaks the most languages. So somebody else kind of coming in and calling it out in a way that made her feel defensive was like, how dare you? It was so hard to watch. And it was kind of like the old Luann. It was the same Luann that was upset with Bethany for introducing her to the driver by her first name. It was the same Luann that doesn't shut the fuck up about her cabaret. It was a really, honestly, uncomfortable moment to watch. And the fact that she continually dug her grave when Ebony was actually giving her the grace of explaining it. And by the way, Ebony was spot on when she made the assessment that Leah just flipped out screams, walks away, removes herself from the situation, comes at Ramona, calls every single one at the table a hoe, and nobody bats an eye. And Ebony raises her voice a little bit, and all of a sudden she's called angry and needs to calm down, needs to lower her voice, and Ramona has a hearing problem. And she was completely right that the level of hypocrisy and the lack of understanding, I mean, I can't imagine that somebody watched that and didn't cringe. I I just can't imagine it. No, me either. And also to just watch it happen almost like in slow motion and then hear Ebony break it down after, it was like, you can just see how this happens all the time and every day. And she was like, look, everyone, this is what we are talking about. Like, this is what it means when I say this. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I wish obviously that that never had to happen because I never, ever want her to feel the way that she was speaking about how she felt in the preview for the next episode. That being said, I would imagine there's a part of her that feels vindicated in having this recorded in that way because it is such a clear representation of exactly what needs to be more focused on. I mean, this was clear as day. Like, I, Honestly, Isabel, I could not believe that Luann didn't stop. I, 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 I literally couldn't believe it. I know. It was absolutely painful to watch. I just wanted to be like, Luann, shut up. When you have that level of an ego that you can't even understand that like your lack of awareness and Heather was right in that nobody was listening to each other. Like she, she couldn't even take in anything because her ego was just bruised. I mean, that's, it was just fucked up. I I, I don't know. I have nothing. I have nothing productive to say. This isn't even additive. I'm just so horrified that 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 happened. Me too. And I think, I hope that this is like broken down at the reunion in some way. I don't even know what else is going to happen this season. It's just like, it's a lot and it's pretty sad. And I think something, something needs to happen. Yeah, we got to do a cast shakeup and Ebony needs to stay. Honestly, I think Leah should go as well. I think Ebony should be the, Ebony and Sonia and even potentially Ramona. I'm not, yeah. I, I honestly think she makes good TV. <laughs> I'm she not, does make good TV, but she's so influenced by the company that she keeps. And I'm telling you, because she doesn't care about anyone at the table, she needs to bring in someone that's like, her sidekick, and then there could be a Sonia element, and they could bring in an old housewife. Like, we need Jill Zarin back. I don't even know. I don't know what's going to happen. Listen, we're not giving up on housewives in New York. Like, I, you know, never, God forbid, never, never, never. This week just happened to be a super weak episode in an already weak season. And I just feel like we're allowed to have a little bit of a pity party together about it. You know what? I really appreciate ending on that note of optimism because you're right. We're never giving up. We are going to persevere and you have to take the bad ones with the good ones and it it will get there, but yeah. Oh, Whew. and I also think we'll get Dorinda back and maybe Heather Thompson and Dorinda. Like, and then Ebony should bring a few of her friends. Yeah. like that's That's the kind of spirit we need around here. 
Yeah. <laughs> Guys, thank God we have this podcast because like I I have to imagine people are feeling the same way and I just needed to talk it out with someone. Yeah. Well, I'm here, kid. <laughs> you guys, we love you so much. Even though New York was a shitty episode, we are really lucky to do this. We're so grateful. We love you. And don't forget, we are off next week. So there will be no Bravo episode next week, but we will see you the week after that. I just, I say it all the time, but seriously, even on the worst weeks, we feel so lucky that we have such incredible listeners who love this stuff as much as we do. So thank you. We really love you guys. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.